0: Today, I'm joined by Dr. Judith Yesh, Professor of Viking Studies at the University of Nottingham. Her research has focused on a wide range of topics, including Old Norse sagas, poetry, runic inscriptions, and literature and culture of Norway and Scandinavian Scotland. She has written two books called Women in the Viking Age and the Viking Diaspora. Dr. Judith Yesh, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. So our topic of discussion today as the title might suggest is Scandinavian runic inscriptions in Britain and Ireland. Now runes are something that I know a lot of people get very excited about and I know they're quite hard to define as well, but I guess sort of a basic question, sort of clearing up some confusion that many folks have or, or what are the runes?
1: Well, I should start by saying I get excited by runes too, so that's perfectly that's perfectly understandable and okay. Um, I I think what you're referring to is people imagine runes to have all kinds of secret and magical purposes. In fact, runes are nothing more or nothing less than an alphabetic system of writing. The earliest uh, surviving runic inscriptions, come from about 160 AD. Um, We don't know if they're much older than that. I suspect not. Um, and then runes were used right the way through until uh, about 1500 so they're a form of writing that were used in those parts of Europe where people spoke a Germanic language um so they are designed to suit uh, the Germanic languages and we have runic inscriptions from across the Germanic world so Germany Denmark Norway Sweden uh, the low countries also Anglo-Saxon England
0: primarily are we finding these Runic inscriptions on stones. I'm assuming wood and paper would have deteriorated over time.
1: We find runic inscriptions on almost everything, including uh, manuscripts uh, later on. So the earliest inscriptions, obviously the things that survive best are are those on metal or stone. Um, In certain conditions, wooden objects will survive. Um, We have embroidered runes on shoes from Bergen in Norway. You could write runes on anything, really, but uh, the vast majority of the surviving inscriptions are on wood or bone or stone or metal.
0: So what kind of runes did the Scandinavians use in Britain and Ireland, and around what time uh, do those runes date to?
1: Well, the interesting thing is um, the Anglo-Saxons were also using runes, um, and so when the Vikings came to England... They would have met a culture that also used runes, but they had slightly different runes in Viking Age Scandinavia. So they, so we can tell the difference between uh, the Anglo-Saxon runes and the Viking runes because they're using different forms of the alphabet. What's interesting about runes in Britain and Ireland, I think, is uh, they have a slightly strange distribution. We would assume that the Vikings brought runes with them and that we'd have lots of runic inscriptions which match uh, what we know about where Vikings went and where they settled and so on. In fact, we don't really have that many. Uh, we only have 19 or 20 runic inscriptions in Scandinavian runes from England, for example, and not all of those are from the Viking Age. Several are from actually later periods like like the 12th century. Um If we go to Scotland, we have more runic inscriptions. Um, We have some from the Viking Age and quite a large number, from, again, from uh, what runologists call the medieval period, which is um, from about 1100 onwards, so the 12th and 13th centuries. Uh, There are runic inscriptions in Ireland, um, not very many, and many of them are fragmentary and don't say very much. And, but the one place that really has an amazing collection of Viking runic inscriptions is the Isle of Man in the Irish Sea. There are something like 34, uh, runic inscriptions, um, most of them memorial stones from, uh, probably the 10th century. And that's the best collection of Viking runes that we actually have in, in the British Isles.
0: So what kind of, passages are these runes, you know, what what kinds of things are these runes saying? Is it just basically everything under the sun uh, in this form of alphabet? Or what kinds of um, messages are we getting um, when translating these runes?
1: Well, I would say, in theory, everything under the sun, although you have to remember that uh, chipping runes into granite or uh, incising them into metalwork or casting a metal object with a runic inscription is is quite laborious. So you don't tend to get very long inscriptions. And then added to that, the fact that many of these things have survived by the skin of their teeth for a thousand years or so. Uh, Many of them are fragmentary. And unfortunately, we're not always sure what they were meant to say. Um, But there are various categories of uh, different kinds of runic inscriptions. most of which are found in in Britain and Ireland. So, if you don't mind, I might just go through some of those categories. The most interesting one, in some ways, are runic inscriptions that have the Futhark. The Futhark is the name of the runic alphabet. Um, and, for example, uh, in Viking Age Dublin, we have one stick of wood and and one uh, bone, an animal bone, presumably. Somebody was bored after eating a good roast dinner and sat down and started carving runes on on the bone that came out of of the roast. Um, and with ephemeral objects like that, we assume this is a sort of very um, random <laughs> use of writing. Perhaps they were just practicing their runes, or perhaps they were showing someone else how to write runes. Because um, why else would you write the runic alphabet on a stick of wood? But then we have other objects with uh, the runic alphabet on them. From Bursi in the Isle of in the Isles of Orkney, we have a bear's tooth, with uh, the first part of, of the Futhark, the runic alphabet, uh, meticulously carved into it. Now they don't have bears in Orkney, <laughs> so probably this bear's tooth came from somewhere else. It may not have been actually written in Orkney, but someone in Orkney owned a bear's tooth with the the runic alphabet on it. That might have been some kind of amulet. It may be um, that it was thought that the runic alphabet had some kind of protective properties if you carved it on an object. Um, And Also, from the northwest of England, uh, from a place called Penrith, there's a very beautiful large silver brooch, a man's cloak brooch, a sort of penannular brooch with uh, the Futhark carved, uh, or incised rather, on on the back of it. Again, why write the Futhark on uh, the back of your best jewellery? We tend in runology often to have more questions than answers. Um, Moving on, we have uh, small numbers of objects from the Viking Age with runic inscriptions which uh, mention the people who either owned that object or the people who made uh, the object. So we have from Lincoln in England, um, comb case, which uh, sports the wonderful inscription, come Godan Gerdi Thorfaster." Uh, Thorfast made a good comb, a little bit of advertising perhaps. Um, from Scotland, from a place called Hunterston, we have again a very beautiful Brooch, uh, which is on display in the museum in Edinburgh, uh, which uh, is not a Viking brooch at all. It's a Celtic type brooch, and on the back it says Melbrigða Austilk, So someone called Melbrigða owns this brooch. The um, you might think, okay, is that a? And that's in Scandinavian runes in the Scandinavian language. So you might think, oh, there's a Viking stole that brooch or, or somehow got hold of it. But then oddly enough, the name though is not a Viking name, it's a Celtic name. So is this somebody who's gone over to the other side, or is this someone of mixed heritage who happens to have a Celtic name but actually speaks Old Norse? Um, all of these are really interesting questions that you can uh, tease out of these very brief inscriptions. The next category I'd like to talk about are runic memorials. You mentioned stones earlier on, and it's true that in Scandinavia, uh, the vast majority of surviving runic inscriptions are Viking Age memorial stones, which tend to be from the late Viking Age, so the late 10th and 11th centuries, um, and they have thousands of them in Sweden, for example. We have some examples of those um, in Britain. Um, The Memorial stone from Kilbar on the island of Barra in the Hebrides uh, commemorates uh, a woman called Thorgerdur, and it just says this cross was raised in memory of Thorgerdur, daughter of Steinar. Um, and Thorgerdur, although she has a good Viking name and her father has a good Viking name, and the text is in Scandinavian runes and Old Norse, clearly was Christian. The object is is a cross. Um, so, these are not the very first Vikings, perhaps to settle on Barra. These are ones uh, maybe a generation or two later uh who have become christian and I mentioned a moment ago all the memorials in the Isle of man um again the, there are some there are more than thirty of these memorials to the dead, and a surprisingly high proportion of them commemorate women um so again, and again, they're all Christian. Most of them are what we, are crosses or cross slabs. So they show um, the Viking settlers assimilating, becoming, uh, taking up the new religion of the place they're living in, but still keeping some aspects of their culture, particularly their language uh, and their writing of runes. We even have a memorial stone um, in London. In St. Paul's churchyard, you know, the great cathedral of, of St. Paul in London, they found in the 19th century uh, a runic inscription made of local stone. But uh, And again, there's a woman involved. Uh, the inscription says, Gina had this stone laid uh, and toki. So it's unfortunately incomplete. We don't know who they were commemorating, but Gina, a woman, and toki, a man, um, had a very beautiful... Uh, stone carved for some family member, presumably, um, which then has this runic inscription on it. Um, and you may have noticed in that text, it doesn't say the stone was put up in memory of so-and-so, it says the stone was laid over so-and-so. So they're also changing uh, the way runic memorials are used. In the old days, in the Viking Age, rune stones Didn't necessarily mark the grave, they were just a memorial in the landscape, usually standing. Whereas, um, under the influence of Christian burial practices, they started making flat rune stones which would actually sit on the grave and mark uh, the grave. So, you can see how they're adapting their traditional practices of writing runic memorials, for example, to new conditions um, and, and the new religion. The next uh, category of runic inscription that fascinates me is what I would call uh, graffiti. And here we're moving into the medieval period. We're no longer in the Viking Age. We've got people still writing Scandinavian runes in the 12th and 13th centuries. And there's three there's three places where we can see such graffiti. Um, for example, in the cathedral at Carlisle in the northwest of England, uh, someone called Dolgfinner, um, scrawled his name in runes on the wall of the cathedral. So that's obviously not any older than the cathedral itself, which was uh, built in the 12th century. Um very famous collection of runic graffiti is in the prehistoric chambered tomb at May's Howe in Orkney, where we have uh, 32 different inscriptions uh, carved by a variety of people um whom we think were a mixed group of Norwegians, Icelanders, and Orcadians who'd just come back from a very famous expedition to the Holy Land under the Earl Rogenwalder of Orkney. And when they came back, um they obviously possibly took shelter um in the prehistoric chamber cairn, or maybe they used to go there regularly for parties, because they're one or two. Um, inscriptions in there which are not suitable for a family podcast like yours. Um, and uh, But they refer to the fact that they'd been to Jerusalem. Um, so that's how we can place uh, those uh, graffiti uh, in their historical context. And even in the mid-13th century, um, on an island called Holy Island off the coast of Scotland. There's a small group of graffiti written by Norwegians who who were there in the 13th century and had been engaged in in a naval battle in Scotland. Um, So with graffiti, there are are sometimes just people passing through. They might not be the Viking settlers or the settlers descended from Vikings um, because uh, parts of Scotland Remained a part of Scandinavia until into the 15th century. So there would be quite a lot of traffic of people, um, rune using people stopping by and, uh, carving, uh, things, uh, really quite sometimes quite stupid <laughs> things and very often just their names, uh, on the walls. And the, the final group of inscriptions I, I want to kind of briefly talk about are ones that fascinate me because they show the interactions of of the cultures and languages in Britain and Ireland. That's where we have Scandinavian runes used to write other languages. Um, And I think the most uh, exciting uh, example of this is a baptismal font um, from a place called Bridekirk in the northwest of England. Um, It's from the 12th century. It's a beautiful piece of 12th century stone carving. And uh, the stone, uh, presumably the stone carver, has written in Scandinavian runes, but in the English language, uh, that, a text that says, "Ricard he me rochte and Tothis me brochte. So someone called Richard, that will be the stonemason, made me and brought me to this glory. Um, the inscription's a little bit obscure. So why would someone a stonemason called richard um, in northwest england where would he get his knowledge of runes from and the ability to translate those scandinavian runes into uh, an english text or to write that english text in scandinavian runes it it completely fascinates me i think but what it does show is that people in that area were still in touch uh with the latest runic trends if you like from scandinavia and it was very much An area where the language survived for some time, the Old Norse language survived for some time. So um, people could do things like that. Um, And then up in Orkney, there's a, a very recently discovered runic inscription from a place called Naversdale, which has, again in Scandinavian runes, the Lord's Prayer in Latin. So the bit of the Lord's Prayer that says, Who art in heaven, hallowed be, that bit survives in this fragmentary inscription on a piece of stone uh, from Orkney. Um, in Ireland, uh, there's a stone, a very interesting stone, a place called Killalo, that has on one side of it a runic inscription in Old Norse, and on the other side uh, an inscription in, in Ogham, in the Irish language. And the runic inscription says, Thorgrim raised this cross. And the Ogham inscription says on the other side, a blessing on Thorgrim. So again, all of these show how the Vikings and the Scandinavians who came after them got involved in various multilingual, multicultural encounters with uh, the native inhabitants of Britain and Ireland. Perhaps
0: one of the reasons why people get so excited about runes is because it's really the Vikings in their own words. Another sign of sort of something the Vikings have left behind that we can learn more about them are the Gotlandic picture stones. So I'm curious, what is the the difference between picture stones and runes? Obviously, there's a great difference, runes being a a written alphabet of sorts, and picture stones being something of imagery. But what, what can that tell us about the Vikings in the sense of were these just uh, forms of uh, medieval Scandinavian art, really?
1: Um, That's a very interesting question, and, and one I've thought quite a lot about. And um, just to get back to your first point, I mean, one of the reasons I got excited about uh, runestones in particular is not just that they're the Vikings in their own words. These are original texts, unlike uh, many manuscripts, which are often uh, copied from earlier manuscripts. But in the case of rune stones, you can still go out into the landscape in a, in a place like Sweden and touch <laughs> these rune stones, which have been there for a thousand years, um, and, and they're in their original position. And uh, so that is absolutely fascinating. And I totally agree with you that um, we mustn't just think of rune stones on their own. We must think of all kinds of ways that the Vikings used stone uh, to communicate, um, I think, probably mostly memorials to the dead. So the Gotlandic picture stones are also memorials to the dead. As you say, they have uh, these really fascinating pictures on them. Um, the Gotlandic picture stones start well before the Viking Age, um, but they, there are also some that are from the Viking Age. Uh, the pictures are often a little bit obscure. But some of them do also have runic inscriptions on them. So they combine pictures and runes. And that's a nice parallel to what's going on in the Isle of Man, because in the Isle of Man, as I said, there's some 30 odd memorial stones with runic inscriptions. Most of those also have decoration and pictures, but there are also picture stones without runic inscriptions. And I think they're part of the same phenomenon. It was a, a choice. You wanted to put up a stone in memory of Dad. Um, who's recently passed away, you, you had a choice. You could have runes, you could have pictures, you could have both. Um, and probably different people wanted different things. Um, and there are some in the Isle of Man, there are some uh, pictures that fit quite nicely with the kind of pictures you have on, on the Gotlandic picture stone. So there is, for example, a very famous uh, stone um, from Kirk Andreas which uh seems to show on one side odin uh and on the other side christ and again the uh the stone has a cross on it it's a christian monument but why would you depict odin on a christian monument is it to say well christianity has won out over um uh, the paganism um or are you kind of seeing some kind of parallel between the two religions are you Uh, suggesting uh, that actually you could be still a believer in Odin while accepting uh, the new religion of Christ. And we find a similar question arises um, again in the northwest of England, very famous Gosforth stone, which again is a Christian cross, a monument, but has images from Norse mythology on it. So um, I think if we look across the whole of the Viking world, um, then we see a range of different possibilities, different ways of using stone monuments uh, to commemorate the dead, to express your identity, to uh, somehow carry cultural messages such as uh, to do with religion or family or inheritance. Um, so yeah, I think the Gotlandic picture stones are in a way a part of the same cultural tendency as uh, many of the runic inscriptions.
0: So in terms of runes is this something that you know the the Norse would have taught their children how to how to write these runes is there sort of um i guess a standard when it comes to uh writing these runes I'm I'm correct me if I'm wrong but I think I'd be right in saying there's different kinds of runes the Fulthark being one of them so what's kind of the standard when it comes to writing runes like would you have a viking Teaching his child, saying, "This is how you write you know this this letter type thing is that does that exist within the study of runes
1: again, a very interesting question you're certainly right in that there are different types of runes within the Scandinavian world. We distinguish on one hand between Viking age runes which are from sometime in the eighth century up until maybe around ten fifty or eleven hundred. And then after 1100, uh, we call them medieval runes because they develop new forms. Even within the Viking Age, in the same way as people sometimes write letters in different ways, we have different letter forms. And they're sometimes classified as, on one hand, Danish runes versus, on the other hand, uh, Swedish-Norwegian runes. Um, I, think, I think that's too black and white classification. I think uh, there are a lot of inscriptions that are act- actually mix the two a bit. What uh, we think um, is that, obviously, to write with runes, you would need to be taught. And we don't, I think, have many Viking Age examples. We do from the medieval period have quite a lot of examples, um, particularly, for example, from uh, Bergen in Norway, where there's a, a corpus of over 700 inscriptions, most of them on small pieces of wood from the 11th to the 14th century. And a lot of those are alphabet futhark inscriptions. And sometimes you can see that, first of all, the futhark has been written out quite nicely. Um, And then underneath it, there's uh, uh, the same thing written again, but not as neatly, which looks like a teacher and a pupil, Um, the teacher writing out the runes and then the pupil copying them. Whether they actually taught children to write runes, I think, is more difficult uh, to to demonstrate, I think it may have been more adults really. I don't think children were expected uh, to learn to write runes. Wow,
0: that's so fascinating. Well, Doctor Yesh, you've been in the field of, of Viking studies, and your work has covered such a wide variety of topics, which is fascinating. But I mean, this is a big question. But you know, you've been in this for so many years. What really excites you now? Um, that's just happening across the, the field of Viking studies and the archaeological excavations that are, um, coming underway. Just what, what excites you, I guess, about runic inscriptions and, um, things that are happening, uh, right now in the field of Viking studies?
1: Well, um, I have to say that runic inscriptions do still excite me. And the reason for that is that my training is in language and literature. So I started off reading sagas and learning Old Norse. Um, and I'm not an archaeologist and, and it's true that archaeologists are still keep finding amazing things. I don't know if you noticed only uh, two or three days ago, there was a report from Norway. They found another big Viking ship burial in the southeast of Norway. So that is absolutely wonderful. But because I'm not an archaeologist, um, I can't get that closely involved in that side of new discoveries. But what runic inscriptions do is, um, combine the two. So, you need linguistic knowledge uh, to understand runic inscriptions but unlike uh, the manuscripts and the sagas and the eddas and so on which we n- almost never find new manuscripts what we do find is new inscriptions come to light all the time even in britain and ireland especially in scandinavia so it's like combining the the excitement of the archaeological discovery with the excitement of reading a new text um and i think Personally, that's what I love most, but there are many other things I really, really enjoy about the Viking Age. Um, I enjoy thinking about where they went, how they went, why they went to all the places they went to. I have a particular love of Orkney um, and uh, the saga of the Orkney Islanders and the poetry that was composed in Orkney in the Viking Age and in the early Middle Ages. And I'm very lucky to be teaching here in Nottingham, which was one of the uh, five boroughs uh, ruled by the Vikings in the Viking Age. And I'm actually able to take students, for example, we go to the Isle of Man most years with our master's degree students to take students to see real Viking objects. And, um, very, and we do have quite a few American and Canadian students, and the look in their eyes when they go up to something and they can touch it and they say, is this really from the 10th century? That's priceless. That's what I one of the things I enjoy most about my job.
0: That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Yesh, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that everyone listening uh, will have enjoyed this episode. Uh, runes are such an exciting topic, and I've certainly learned a lot today. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, uh, good luck with your podcast. I must say I'm very impressed uh, by what you're doing there. And it was a real pleasure talking to you.